I'm excited because we are in this series in the book of Luke and Acts. And um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We're going to begin there. And, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we, we've been able to learn uh, from Chad and from Lauren. Next week, Chad's coming back, and I, I'm excited about that. But there's something stirring in Rockford. I mean, you, you hear it in the kids' ministry. There's something stirring just in worship. But, man, I'm telling you what, I think what it is, too, is we've got a church that's diving in together in solidarity into God's Word. And how many of you have been reading Luke each week? Yeah, look at that. Well done. Well done. And this has just been so fun that just to think, even when I'm opening up God's Word and I'm reading it, I'm going, man, I wonder, wonder how many people in Rockford and how many people in Elgin are just reading the same passage at the same time, at the same moment. I wonder what's sticking out to them and what's, what's inspiring them. But at the very beginning of Luke chapter 6, something happens. This is this. One Sabbath, verse 1, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Sounds really good. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Okay, real quick. You ever like read the scriptures and you're all of a sudden going like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Just a bunch of people just like walking, like picking up some grain, just rubbing them together, eating some kernels. And for some apparent reason, there's like Pharisees who are just there. And they're just watching and they're like, see, doing unlawful things, breaking the law. Like, what's this about? And you ever have these moments where you're like, I, I know there's something going on here. I just can't seem to get to it. What's amazing is 50 years before the days of Jesus, there were two rabbis. And these two rabbis, they were very, very popular. Their names were Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. This is an artist rendering of the two. Now, what's amazing about Shammai and Hillel is they had schools where they taught their interpretation of the text. Now, Shammai, he ranked the 613 commands that are found in the first five books of the Bible. He ranked them this way. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Number two, be holy as God is holy. And Hillel... Rabbi Hillel said that the two greatest commands were love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. These two rabbis, 50 years before the days of Jesus, they would show up and they would battle one another. And they would take a topic and they would just begin to wrestle the idea down to the ground of how they trained their Talmudim, their disciples. And they would go back and forth. There is Scholars will say that they actually debated on certain topics 316 different debates. One debate went two and a half years long. And it was a simple debate of this. Should God have created humanity? And, and Hillel was like, I don't think it was a good idea because we're broken people. And Shammai was like, we are what God wanted to create. Two and a half years. Finally, Hillel just waved the white flags, scholars say. And he simply said, all right, I give you this one, but here's the truth. He did create us, so let us, let us bring praise and honor to his name. I, I love this, because for many of us, when we read this, we kind of see this story on in regards to the Sabbath, and we're like, what's the big deal? But you have to understand, in that day, they had some cultural hot topics. We don't have anything like that in our day. You know, 
But in, but in their day, here's, here's what the cultural hot topics were. It was this. There was four of them. And they were, the, the, the theological debates of the day were centered around who can forgive sin, table fellowship, like who do you eat with, fasting, and Sabbath. And if you think about the last few weeks, when Chad spoke, talked about the, the healing. But Jesus in that moment says, oh, your sins are forgiven. And the, the, the Pharisees and the religious people are like, wait, 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 what? And then... These Pharisees watched Jesus, and he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And we heard Lauren teach on this, that the disciples were, like, feasting and not fasting. And, like, the Pharisees were losing their ever-loving mind, and they start following him. And on a Sabbath, they see Jesus' disciples just picking up some grain and eating it. Before we dive back into Luke 6, let's just talk about the Sabbath. Because I think for some of us, we have a, a concept or an understanding of it. But this is, this is like basically from the jump of Scripture. The, the poetry of Genesis 1 is that the earth was formless. It was void. It was without meaning. It was without purpose. And yet the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness. And for six days, God creates. And when he creates, what does he do? He fills the earth. And he gives it meaning and purpose. But then on day seven, the poem just changes. It shifts. And you read this in Genesis chapter two. Look what it says. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Some translations will say it made it weighty because on it, he rested from all the work of creating the it he had done. A quick question. How many of you know how to rest well? Yeah, some of you are like, no, I don't. No, I don't. How, how, like, honestly, how many of you if, you, if you really were like, all right, 10 is me at the most restful, the most joyful, the most peaceful, the most centered and grounded in who God made me to be. How many of you are like, I'm at a 10? Okay, how, how many of you would be like, hey, I'm probably like in like the four to five range? Yeah. How many of you are like lower than the four to five range? Yeah. How many of you are lying by not raising your hand? No. But like, here, here's the thing. You have the God of all creation and he begins to like rest and he blesses. And on the seventh day, he just <sighs> exhales. Exhales. And you think about this. The Hebrew nation, they find themselves in slavery. 400 plus years. Their whole identity was directly connected to how many bricks they made for Egypt. Their worth was in if they hit their quota or not. And if they didn't hit their quota, they didn't hit their numbers, they were beaten and had to show up the next day and 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 the next day. They did not have Sabbath. And so when God rescues a people and he's taking them from oppression and injustice and the trauma of Egypt and abuse. And he's moving them through the wilderness, through the wild, to the promised land. He says, what we know as commandments, and we think of them as rules, but to the Hebrew nation, they were wedding vows. They were God trying to marry a people. And he begins to describe the kind of bride that he's looking for, the kind of people that he wants to actually live with, to embody his name and bear witness to what he can do, who will be a light unto the nations. And you know, when you read in Exodus 20, the longest, most detailed 
vow? Was that regarding Sabbath? Like, you look at this. This is how long it is. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. Now, Sabbath in, in Hebrew is the word Shabbat, and it literally means to cease. Remember the day of ceasing by keeping it holy, set apart, and weighty. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a day of ceasing to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor Chick-fil-A, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, here's the interesting piece. Because rabbis are fascinating creatures. And they find themselves asking a ton of questions. They begin to wonder about the Sabbath. And they started to think about the Sabbath. Well, I mean, like there's, there's other kind of responsibilities we have. I mean, I, I, like if, if, if a child has to be circumcised in a Jewish culture, it was on the eighth day. But what happens if that eighth day is Sabbath? Do we still circumcise the child? Which one do we choose? Or what if our wife is pregnant and she delivers on Sabbath? Do we call the doctor? Or does she have to just hold it? Like, how do you do this? They found themselves like asking all these questions. What happens if an ox falls into a ditch on the Sabbath? Do I just look at it or do I help it? What happens if my neighbor's sick? And literally, this was the question. But what if blank happens on a Sabbath? What do we do? What do we do? And you have to understand that for the Jewish, like Hebrew nation, they had the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Torah. But they also had what they referred to as the oral Torah. And that was the kind of interpretation of their understanding of the different rabbis' perspectives on these five books. And most Jewish boys and girls had that memorized. And they would pass it down and pass it down and pass it down. And so the question became, what do we do on the Sabbath if blank happens? And rabbis began to add to a list. And they called it the 40 minus 1. And this, this was compiled. It was shared in the generations before Jesus and after Jesus. And even to this day in Israel, it says this. The 39 sections of Sabbath prohibition. Sounds like back in the U.S. when you couldn't drink and couldn't sell beer and alcohol. But prohibition means no. Like you can't do this. So there's no sowing, plowing, reaping, gathering into sheaves, threshing, Winnowing, which I'm not sure what winnowing is. Cleansing, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wood, washing it, beating it, dyeing it. It continues. Spinning it, making a warp of it, making two cords, weaving two threads, two stitches, learning to sew two stitches, catching a deer, because those are connected, killing, skinning, salting it, preparing its hide, scraping off its hair. It's just gross. Cutting it up. Writing two letters. And this isn't like a letter that you would write. It's literally writing two letters, like an A and a B. You can write an A, but you can't write two letters. Building, blotting out for the purpose of writing two letters, so you can't use white out and write two more letters. Pulling down, extinguishing, lighting a fire, beating with a hammer, and carrying one property to another. 
This was the law that was passed down. So when they thought about Sabbath, you couldn't scrape the hair off a deer on Sabbath. Because you had to keep it weighty and set apart and holy. You could not winnow and thresh. You could not grab from a grain field. You could not take of it. You couldn't do anything that would be considered work. My uncle Tim, he married uh, into an Orthodox Jewish family. And um, I'll never forget because my mom grew up in Queens, New York. And I was out in, in, in Queens and I was at my uncle Tim's house. And I remember um, Val's mom was there. And she uh, spoke very minimal English, but spoke Hebrew was very, very um, kind of grounded in the way of the Hebrew uh, nation. And I remember it was one Sabbath day, and I, I didn't know much about Sabbath at all. It was just a Friday night, and I was there at my Uncle Tim's house, and I went to the refrigerator, and she was just standing by the refrigerator. And I was just like looking at the refrigerator, and so I, I was like, oh, excuse me. And um, she just stood there, and then as I opened up the refrigerator to grab a Dr. Pepper, she just reached in and grabbed something and went to the counter. I was like, okay, close it. I go back, and she's just still standing there. I open up the freezer to get ice cream. She grabs something out. Finally, I, I, I ask, I said, hey, um, what, what, what are you doing? And she says, on Sabbath, I can't open refrigerator. I can take if you open, but I can't open and take because I'm breaking the rules. And I was like, this is amazing. I started to think about all of this stuff. This, is, this was one of the genesis for me of wanting to get very, very curious and fascinated by the Hebrew and Jewish roots. And I began to learn and see. Now, you've got to understand something. To the Jewish nation, circumcision, covenant, and Sabbath were markers of what it meant to be a Jew. It was so connected to their cultural identity. So you have these Pharisees. And we all, if we're really, really honest, we all have a little Pharisee in us. But the, Pharisee, the Pharisees were looking and they were kind of watching the healing. They were watching the feasting, the table fellowship. They were watching the fasting. But it was here in this Sabbath moment of Luke 6 that they lost their ever-loving mind. If you have a Bible, turn with me back to Luke chapter 6. And I want us to live in this passage now with a little bit more understanding of why and what really tripped up those Pharisees. It says this, verse 1 again. One Sabbath, one day of ceasing, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And his Talmudim, his disciples, began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. So you can obviously see that they are breaking the 40 minus 1. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And then Jesus just Jedi masters them. Look what he says, verse 3. He answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, like the temple, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then verse 5, Jesus says, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So in just this quick little moment, you have like Jesus putting the Pharisees in a bit of a bind because he says to them, Hey, you can come after me and my disciples, but like David did a similar thing. David actually did something even probably even more unholy. I mean, he, he went into the temple. 
And he actually took bread that was consecrated for the priests. And he took it. And you all like teach that. And you share that. And you kind of celebrate what David did to provide for his companions and how God provided. So who's wrong? Is it me or is it David? And the Pharisees don't have an answer. Because nobody wants to touch that. Because Moses and David, to the Jewish nation, they were the greatest leaders. So then these Pharisees keep following. And they're like, all right, we, we didn't catch him this time, but we're going to catch him again. And continues on. Look what it says in Luke 6. It says this. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. Because that's what rabbis do. They teach. And a man who was there, whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to him, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Verse 10, he looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Here, here's what Jesus is doing. Because back in those days, if someone was really gravely ill, you could go see them on a Sabbath. You could pray for healing. But if someone had a withered hand, and it wasn't life-altering for that moment, you had to not go and see them on the Sabbath. If someone was sick, you didn't go see them on the Sabbath. If they were dying and in hospice, you could go see them in Sabbath. And what Jesus is trying to get to is this. Hey, there's a need here. And why can't I meet that need? Like really, for me to meet this need is going to trigger you? Like what, what, what is actually right and what is evil? And in this moment, Jesus begins to kind of just shape this whole kind of perspective. Now, here's what I think. I think the Sabbath is a gift. I think it's a real, real gift. But here's what often happens when some of us have been given a gift from God. Is there sometimes where we use it, experience it, know about it, encounter it. There's some sweetness about actually participating and practicing this. But then over time, it becomes rules. And it can become routine. And all of a sudden, what was a delight now becomes a should. And then it becomes something that you actually go, well, I do this and I'm doing it right and other people aren't. And you use that as a litmus test to actually make you feel more holy than another person. And at the original intent of Sabbath, or the original intent of reading the Bible, or the original intent of generosity, or the original intent of serving, or the original intent of us actually evangelizing and sharing our story, the original intent of us being honest and human with our pain, the original intent with worship, the original intent with prayer, the original intent with actually being the kind of people who fasted and did the, the spiritual disciplines was to encounter Christ. But somehow, over time, 
religious people create rules and shoulds that begin to separate them from the rest of the people. You ever do this? You ever, you ever use something and you literally siphon out its goodness and its like original intent to feed something about you to make you feel a little bit better about yourself? We do this with work, don't we? We do this with money, don't we? We do this often with sex. I mean, the, the heart of sex was intimacy, but what do we do? We siphon it out to be like, man, I just need connection. I need connection. Ah! And all of a sudden, we like get it away from what it was originally intended to be. We do this with power. The truth is we also do this within the church. And this is what Jesus was calling out. And then, truthfully, I read these first 11 verses in chapter 6. I read them and I'm like, oh my goodness, what Jesus is calling out in me is a Pharisee in me. Because it's easy for me to look at somebody else and be like, ah, I wouldn't have done it that way. I should be done this way. You know what, I think, I think really if they were taking it like actually the way that the Bible said, they would do it this way. Like what, what? There's like a level of cynicism and judgment and there's a sense of like superiority that sometimes can actually come within the church. And you know what that does? It takes up the space, the desperation and dependency and expectancy is supposed to have in Christ. Does this make sense? Here's the question I've been wrestling with all week. Is there anywhere in mine and your faith journey where the rules and shoulds are robbing the original good that God first intended? Is there any place? I mean, like you, you could do U version, and I love U version, it's fantastic. But sometimes U version will like tell you how good you're doing, and you're like, oh man, I'm like 72 days straight of reading the Bible. I'm awesome. You know what I should do? I should stop reading the Bible just for that next day because I'm finding my identity in how many days I've gone in a row and not actually in being with Christ. Is there anything that you're doing that's like, who, I've actually siphoned out God's original good intent to try and prop myself up to be more holy when I'm actually really broken? Or I've turned it into a should instead of a privilege to. And friends, we talk about Sabbath. I think the application for us really is going, one, is there any Pharisee in me? Is there any way that I've just siphoned out the good? But two, another clear application is how many of us actually practice Sabbath? I, mean, I asked you earlier, like, how many of you just feel exhausted, tired, stressed, overwhelmed? We're living in what people say is the age of outrage. There's so much just angst, so much just triggering happening, so much just behavior that's reaction, so much like hystericalness that's just coming out of us. And oftentimes I wonder like, man, how are we supposed to actually combat that? And I, I, I come to this piece of what I think it means to be a preacher. In this day and age, my whole sole goal is spiritual formation is to shape and form you more and more into the image of Christ. That's like my dream. Is that if, if like at the end of my time here at Forest City, whenever that is, is that you will look a little bit more like Jesus than before. But I think one of the principal pieces of spiritual formation is one word, and it's stewardship. 
And I think when we think of stewardship, all we think about is money. But right from Genesis, God like gives the man and the woman stewardship, dominion over creation. And all stewardship is, is the responsibility of what you have been entrusted with. And yes, every single one of us, we've been entrusted with money. But we've also been entrusted with time. We've all been entrusted with pain. Because we're human. Standing next to other humans who are broken and beautiful. And we've all been entrusted with different talents. Every one of you has a spiritual gift, whether you know it or not, whether you are deploying it or not, you have a talent and you also have a story. And every one of us at the end of our life is going to have to really wrestle with, was I a good steward with my money, with my time, with my pain, with my talents, with my story? Did I give that away? And I think about this because I think for many of us, when I look at all of these It's all for our formation to become more and more like Jesus. Like, for instance, and this is, this is, you know, being in ministry for 20 some years. I I think it's fascinating because I find that there are different groups of people who really, when they, when they talk about Sabbath, when they talk about generosity, there's really like two types of people, right? You got one group of people who says, Hey, for me, for me and my one and only life, To get from A to B, I'm going to need all 100% of my finances and all 168 hours in a given week. If I'm going to get to from A to B, if I'm going to get to hit my goals, if I'm going to become where I want to be, I need to have all 100% and I need to work, work, work. I'm always working. I'm always going. I'm always pushing. I'm going for it. And then they come to the church. And they hear the church talk about Sabbath and generosity. And you know what this group of people looks? They look down at this other group of people and they go, what a bunch of suckers. What a bunch of idiots. Because there's another group of people who go, hey, if I'm actually going to get from A to B, this group of people goes, oh, I don't need 100%. I only need 90%. My first 10%, I tithe, I give back to God. Hey, I actually don't need 168 hours. I'm on the Chick-fil-A plan. I only need 144 hours. And actually in 144 hours, I'm good. And this group of people at the top looks down at these people who are in the process of formation and goes, suckers. But if the people who have been doing this great formation in Christ recognize they don't just get to be somehow mysteriously and spiritually something else happens that they get to see and they look up at this group who goes I need to have it all I need to hold it all I need to control it all I need to keep working and they look up at that group and they go suckers you're being discipled and shaped and formed by the world and you're missing it and you think about this you think about this this whole crew who holds on, are wrestling with the questions, do I have enough? There's never enough time. I gotta keep going. I gotta keep building. Their identity is found in their achievements and their performance and their work. But the people who have mastered this, who have a Sabbath, you know what has actually grown? A spiritual muscle is trust. I trust that my God 
got me. I trust that my gods got this. They have actually grown a level of faith and trust that this crew doesn't have. And when they have this ability, the first and foremost, to give, they go, I trust. I am not owned by my money. I'm not owned by time. I am actually a servant of Christ. It's a radically different life. Now, here's the truth. I didn't always live like this. I didn't. I mean, I was on this plan. Hustle, try harder, work, 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 travel, go. And oftentimes it was doing the most good. But I was exhausted. I'll never forget I was in Ramallah, Palestine. And whenever you travel, if you're ever like away from home, do you ever just like wish and desire that you'd see something that would make you think and remind you of home? And sometimes I, I find this at restaurants, but this one day in Ramallah, of all places, I'm walking, and I see the green. And I see the font. And I, I'm like, this looks familiar. My eyes aren't that good, but I'm like, this is, I can't believe it. This is reminding me of home. And I'm on my lips. I can start to taste that Pike's Place dark coffee. And I start getting closer and closer. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Seattle Starbucks is here in Ramallah. And I look at it, and as I walk up closer, this is what I see. Not Starbucks, but Stars and Bucks Cafe. And I remember just going, what? And I tried the coffee, and it wasn't good. I remember later that night, I'm at the hotel, and I'm journaling. And I start to journal, and I, I have this, like, you ever have these moments where like, you're journaling, and it's almost like you, you kind of, like, step out of your own life, and you almost, like, are in this, like, place of imagination? And I start to imagine it. This moment where Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks, gets wind of Stars and Bucks Cafe. And so what does he do? He calls his lawyers that are on retainer. And you know lawyers. Lawyers bill every three minutes. Every three minutes. They are masterful at taking and keeping track of their time. And the, and the lawyers go, oh, 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 we got this. It'll take me 39 minutes, I'll bill you, Howard, and I will write out a cease and desist letter, and we will send it to Stars and Bucks Cafe for copyright infringement. And I imagine this letter going to Ramallah, Palestine, and all of a sudden somebody gets it from the mermaid company in Seattle, and they open it up and it says, you are infringing on our brand. Cease and desist. Change the color, change the font, change the name, or we will finish you. I just have this moment. And then, and then, and then, it hits me. It hits me. And it's just this moment, just like where God just began just to wreck me. And I never forget, I'm just sitting in this hotel, and I feel like God said, Steve, I put my image in you. A part of me, I put in you and entrusted into you. And you are going out into the world. And you are exhausted. And you are tired. And you are bitter. And you are struggling to forgive. And you don't have much joy. And you're just going and going and going and going. And what do you really taste like? Starbucks or Stars and Bucks? And in this moment, I just imagined heaven sending me a cease and desist letter. For copyright infringement. For actually saying, I am putting forth the brand 
an image of God in a way that doesn't taste anything like what the image and brand and sound and goodness of the fruit of the Spirit is all about. And sometimes I just need to be like shaken. I don't mean to be harsh. I don't mean that. But it was just in a moment for me because I just felt like I got to go. I got to work. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And I felt like God was just saying, no. I want you to learn to go slow. I want you to learn to trust me. I want you to learn how to actually find rest in my presence. I want you to actually find your worth not in what you say or preach or make or do. I want you to find your identity fully in me. And that's what Sabbath actually offers us. But the real truth is the sincere Christ follower of today, the majority of us just don't do it. And we're busy and we're hurrying and we're hustling and we're stressed And we're just tired and we're exhausted. And you know what the gift that God says is? From the jump of scripture, I told you there was a rhythm to this life. And it went one, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, rest. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, rest. And for some of us, we don't even know how to rest. We don't even know how to turn our brain off. And so we go on vacations, but we don't even know how to vacation because we haven't even learned how to Sabbath. And we're gone for five days, but we can't stop working. And we feel the phantom vibrates of our phone. And we're looking at our phone. Nobody texted me. What's wrong with me? And they're like, because you're on vacation. But ah, we don't even know how to do it. So here's what I want to invite you to. Yes, you have to look in your spiritual life. Is there anything that you are just siphoning out God's good original intent and turning it into rules and shoulds? Yes, lose that. But Sabbath, maybe the invitation for us is not to lose it, but to be reminded the gift that it is to shape us and form us. So here's what I'm going to invite every one of you to do. Number one is this, pick a day. Pick a day. Nobody's going to drift to Sabbath. Nobody's going to wake up someday and be like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just, I'm just crazy. I just know how to Sabbath now. You have to be intentional with it. You've got to pick a day. But remember, Shabbat, Sabbath, means to cease. But here's what I want you to think about. When you pick a day and you create a day, I want you to learn not to cease and desist. I want you to learn to cease and delight to delight in God's goodness, good food, good connection. For when I first moved to Chicago in 2012, I spent every Monday learning and driving and take the train into a different neighborhood. I went to Andersonville. I went to to Wicker Park, Lincoln Park. I, I went to all of these different neighborhoods and I just walked around. I got lost in the architecture. I found a good coffee shop and just sat. I just journaled. I didn't post anything on social media. I didn't try and do anything that was going to advance my career. I just tried to be reminded of God's good creation and that God's got this. 
and that I'm not that important. But he is. And what it did for my RPMs, what it did for my marriage, what it did for my brain, what it did for my heart, what it did for my body, what it did for my soul, what it did for my relationships, what it did for my preaching, what I did for every area of my life. And it tracks back to going, I'm actually better on God's plan. And now I just look at the people who live this way and I go, I get it, but you're a sucker. But this one, they'll change you if you let it. Do you have a day? Maybe you're like, I can't do this. This week's already too bad. Don't worry. Think about March. And some of our schedules, it changes. This week, my Sabbath is going to be on Wednesday. Another week, it's on Saturday. It flips, it switches. But man, I have that, not in pencil, I have it in ink in my calendar. And nothing, nothing will break through that Sabbath. Now, if there's a need, yes, I get Luke 6, I'll I'll help. But for the most part, I am protecting that day because I need that day to be reminded. It's about ceasing and delighting, resting in the day that he showed me and taught me how to rest. What's that day for you? What's that day? Is it Sunday? Because we're Bears fans, man. <laughs> Sundays have just become not the Lord's day, it's losing day. But like, but like maybe, maybe, maybe Sundays, maybe it's Saturdays, maybe, maybe it's a Monday. But you gotta pick that day. You gotta put it in ink. And then just get creative. What do you want to do? Just be with, be like in, in creation. When Anderson Gardens opens, you want to walk through Anderson Gardens? I don't, be in nature? Have good coffee? Like what, what is that? But how do you have moments where you can just experience the exhale of all the pressures and all the concerns and all the worries and giving those back to God? That gift is for you. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? I hope you will. Because if we're that kind of people, we're going to be a more joyful, trustful, faithful community. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. I'd love to give you a closing prayer. And for some of you here, maybe you're like, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. We're going to have our prayer teams up front. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I want to join a choir in the lobby. Talk to Carrington and Lauren. They would love to tell you about this choir. Come next week. Uh, Chad Brueggemann's back. He's fantastic. Invite a friend. Um, But would you put your hands out? I'd love to give you a blessing. My brothers and sisters of Forest City Church, I pray that you would know the gift of Sabbath. I pray you would know what a true deep rest and exhale is for your soul and your mind and your life. And I pray that in this season, we would steward what has been entrusted to us in every arena and area of our life. But I pray, I, I pray this week that the Lord bless you and keep you, that he be gracious to you, that he shine his face upon you, and that he grant you peace as you learn to rest in his presence. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace.